How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not. lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Will not neglect your word. Okay, here's what we got. I'll give you a couple of uh, prayer requests. Uh, Lynette's sister needs prayer because of bullying. She was uh, talking about actually killing herself and has kind of lost her faith in God. So we want to keep Lynette's sister in prayer. She didn't give me a name for her. But um, we also have um, Darla. I got a message back from her about an hour ago, and she's still struggling. You know, she, she's not going to be able to drive for a while. She's <laughs> yeah. walking with a walker. And, you know, when you throw out your hip like that and you've just had an operation on yeah. your second hip. Yeah. Um, Judy, I have not heard back from. I emailed her, and I haven't heard back. But uh, we'll hope that she's okay. And then I got... Uh, this from Bob's son, which he said, I can read. We had a meeting with the care team at St. Anne's to talk about a safe discharge plan for dad. The crux of it is he cannot live alone and will need some sort of assistance. So I, I know that most of his friends will be here Sunday and not on Thursday night, but um, he says, however, the assistance he needs is mostly cognitive. Reminders to attend to his right side, cues to do what next and so on. He may need some assistance washing or cleaning up a mess, but the point is, the care person doesn't have to be strong enough to lift him out of bed or anything like that. He's fine. He can get up. He, you know, he's, he's, it's just, he just needs some direction. My guess is this is a month's long endeavor, perhaps six to nine months, and hopefully he will recover enough to live semi-independently in his house. The options are dad lives with a friend or with family, which I'm hoping will happen, or the second one, someone moves in with dad at his house. Maybe there's a caregiver that just needs a place to live because, you know, housing is expensive, and they could say, we'll take care of you, and when I'm not at work, I'll, you know, whatever, I don't know. And the third one is uh, assisted living or third is in-home nursing, but that's going to be really expensive. So, so is he still up in New York? He is still up in New York and he's going to be there at least until uh, September something. And he wants to come back here. He wants to be here for the winter. And, uh, I, you know, I don't blame him, but uh, the, the family, uh, it, it's it's just going to be tough on the family if he has to stay up there. I, it. it hopefully he can just come back because he's fine you know it's like he was before it just he's he's got to process his words and stuff so difficult but i'm sure that some one of his friends that he lives around or you know mike or royce knows somebody that knows him because they're all very close up there maybe judy because she works with him and uh if, if we ju he just needs help so he can get established again and he can get back into routine he's probably not gonna be able to drive for a while and the reason why isn't he's not capable of driving is because when he reads, he doesn't read properly. And so you don't want to drive somewhere and read a sign and have the words not make any sense. So like, whatever. Bob, yeah. Bob, yeah. Bob. Uh, on Sunday, who opens us? Yeah, he had a stroke a couple weeks ago. And yeah, when he gets back to Sarasota, they're going to need to do something. So let's go to Lord so, in prayer. Oh, so yes. in other words, the church must suffer further with the openings. Oh, yes, with you. Yes, absolutely. Oh, gosh, there you go. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, uh, just share in your goodness. And we raise up the people that we mentioned. We certainly pray for Bob and for Judy and for Darlin, for Lynette's sister and all the other people that are going through their troubles. Lord, you know the uh, 
The earthquake that happened in Trinidad was very scary for some people that we know down there. And we've got a storm coming into Hawaii. And it's, it's hard to pray that one person doesn't get hit when another might get hit. So we would just pray that the thing would steer completely away from the islands and just, you know, blow away into the uh, Pacific. But your will be done. Be with your people and give them strength and courage through the trials in this life. And Lord, we just thank you for the chance to be in your presence, to share in your word, and to be glorified through your word. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, earthquake down in Trinidad. It was a big one. My friend down there sent me a video of it, and it lasted 90 seconds. And, you know, windows falling out of buildings and stuff. And But fortunately, nobody was killed, which is great. It was in between Trinidad and Venezuela, and so it was... It was, it was uh, it was bad, but uh, as I told her, I remember when I was in Japan, we had three types of earthquakes. The kind that went straight up and down, which means you were right there at the epicenter, and that buildings would just collapse because, you know, it's, and then you get the ones that would shift back and forth because it's just out away from you. And that's dangerous too, because things just collapse like that. And then you get the third one, which is, I hate to say this because it's not funny when you're in it, but it almost feels great because you're like, it rolls. The, it, it was so far away that everything is rolling. It's just the pressure being relieved under where you're at. And that's where, you know, windows fall out, but nothing really collapses. And afterward, only afterward, you say, well, that wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's very scary because you don't know. You, you have, when you're in an earthquake, there is no <laughs> no place to go. That it, you, well, if I go outside, will something fall on me? If I stay inside, will something, you know, you don't know. It's a very scary feeling. So uh, anyway, that's the deal with that. And uh, yes, and if you want to have somebody else open or if you just want me to open, yeah, yeah. whatever. I'll if you, you can know. handle it, you just don't, don't feel pressured on Sunday. Um, okay, we are in Romans 14, verse 7 today. And we should be done with Romans today. It's only 16 chapters, so. Yeah, should <laughs> be. In your dreams. In your dreams. Are we going? Oh, yeah. You no, know, you're on. You don't have, you usually open with. Uh... Yeah, you open with a number thing. Oh, well, well, I didn't. I forgot. So let's okay. just go ahead and open. Oh, okay. Let's just go ahead and open. Right. Right. Yep. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. Okay, well, I was in Romans 4, so let me make sure mine matches yours. Almost word for word, so we're not going to worry about it. All right, we are reminded based on the previous discussion concerning food and days. Remember, that's what we've been talking about, the food and dietary restrictions. I was really surprised. I got a, one very good email, but a couple of them on uh, how happy they were to hear that because, you know, it's something that people get beaten into on certain diets and certain things that you have to do. And uh, so thank you for those comments, the people that uh, emailed me about that, because it's something we just need to be reminded. You hear something enough where people say, well, you shouldn't have eaten that because it, 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 you get confused. So anyway, I appreciate the comments when people say things like that. But here we go. Certain foods, certain days that none of us lives to himself. Okay, that's what Paul is saying in this verse. None of us lives to himself, or as you put, none of us lives alone. We are accountable to God and to live for God. What he has ordained is right, and therefore we are to treat his granted liberties as appropriate. Remember that? We've got liberty to eat whatever we want. That's appropriate. We live to God. We're not living for legalism or anything like that. In essence, those around us who eat differently or worship differently are to be given regard for their choices without judgment as long as they are not forbidden. Okay, when I say worship differently, I'm not talking about Buddhism. I'm talking about within Christianity, 
Some people want to, you know, I've heard that churches have actually divided over whether you stand during prayer or whether you kneel during prayer or whether you, yeah. I've heard the churches divided over that and say, it's silly. There's nothing in the Bible that says you need to stand when you pray or what, you know, because I remember in the Episcopal church, they'd say, everybody stand for the Nicene Creed, right? Up you go and everybody just repeats the same thing every week, week after week. And then you sit down and they say, let us kneel. And then everybody kneeled at that time, right? Do you remember that? The ocean roll. The ocean roll. There you go. <laughs> they were in the church I was in when I was a kid. And so, uh, I used to yeah. Raised Catholic, so it was Catholic calisthenics. Catholic calisthenics. Sit, stand, See, kneel, there you sit, go. Stand, kneel. But people really take that personally if they go to another church and it's not the same. And they're like, well, why aren't you doing this? Yeah. Well, because it's not biblical. It's custom. There's nothing wrong with tr custom and tradition at all, as long as it doesn't interfere with your devotion to God, if it's not inappropriate. But if we take our customs and we start imposing them on other people, that becomes a problem. Right? I do the same thing every single week here. One week, I didn't wear the, the tallit. I just thought I'm going to take a break from that this week. And somebody emailed me and they said, why didn't you do that? And I said, I just didn't feel like it. You know, it's just, you know, it, it's not necessary. I just do it because it's, it's to me, kind of a formality. So, what, yeah, yeah, creepy. Yeah, she says I it's said creepy. Pretty. Oh, pretty. I thought she says it's creepy. I thought you were making a joke, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, you do have to hold your hands like this to look. Oh, absolutely. You must hold your hands like this when you pray, or you are out. That's exactly right. Okay, so uh, let's see here. Um, for example, we may not like others eating pork. It's the easy one to go with because it's yeah. not allowed under the law of Moses, and so that gets into people's heads. Um, but there is nothing wrong with it. We may like to eat pork and we shouldn't be shamed by those who don't. The food is acceptable because we have been accepted. Let me take you to Romans chapter 10, or, or Acts chapter 10. This is a, a chapter that is even, it, it's as clear as it could be, and yet people still deny what it, it's presenting to us. But let me take you there, Acts chapter 10. I'm going to go to verses 34 and 35 and um, read you that. Let me see here. Um, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, what happened in Acts chapter 10 is you've got, um, I, I think it might have started in 9, but um, maybe 10. Yeah, it was it started actually in um, uh, 10. It's uh, you got Cornelius and then Peter has a vision of the sheep coming down and all of the different animals. And he says, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And, you know, they go through all of that. And it's obvious that it is being applied to the Gentiles. The sheep with all of those creeping creatures is being applied to the Gentiles. You are not to call anything unclean which God has cleansed. Okay. But what happened when he went down to Caesarea? He spoke to the people, right? And then... As soon as he spoke to them, they believed. And what happened? Stayed with them. Stayed with them. Came down on them, and it stayed with them, right? What did they have for breakfast that morning? Sausage and eggs, right? I mean, they're Gentiles. The point is, people will say, well, that's only speaking about the people. It's not speaking about their diet. They divide it like it's somehow absolutely not. They were never told to not eat those foods afterward. They were eating unclean foods according to the law of Moses before the Holy Spirit came down and he accepted them anyway. <laughs> so the entire, if you take the entire Acts chapter 10 in its intended context, it is that there is absolutely <laughs> nothing wrong with any food that they had eaten, any of it. Some of them probably went down to the local whatever, the butcher, and he's sacrificing it to his idols and they went down and bought it and they never gave it a second thought. 
didn't make any difference. The Holy Spirit came down on them because it is irrelevant what you have in their stomach. God has accepted these people and he continues to do it. When we go to Papua New Guinea and we tell somebody about Jesus, we don't say, well, you need to stop eating pork for six months before we tell you about Jesus and then you can be saved. It doesn't, nothing like that. They receive, they believe, or they believe they receive and that's it. So disputable matters are to be handled as such. And not only do none of us live to ourselves, but none dies to himself either, according to what Paul says. God is in control of our lives, and he likewise controls our deaths. Something we were talking about just a few minutes before we started in the class here is that, uh, uh, you know, people, some people get cancer from Roundup, and I go out and I round up weeds. I've been doing it for eons, and I never wear shoes. I haven't worn shoes 10 times since I was three, right? And I'm out there, I round up miles of weeds at the mall and at the houses I take care of and all of my morning jobs. And I haven't got cancer and I bet you I'm not gonna die of roundup cancer, right? So people get affected by different things differently. Some of us here can eat certain things, some of us can eat certain things. The Lord is in control of our days. And the example was, because I've mentioned this before, is that when you interview, and they always do, when somebody has their 103rd birthday, the newspaper shows up and they interview them, and the question always is, what are you "Yeah, what, 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 what's the secret? Yeah, what's the secret to your existence?" And they always say, "Either I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, or I eat a, a pound of bacon a day. Yeah, or I drink a glass of wine, or some of them actually say I have a couple of shots of whiskey or whatever." So these people have lived forever, and they do what is traditionally contrary to normal thinking. So. The Lord has ordained our days. It has nothing to do with what goes into our stomach for the most part. I mean, there are times where you can overdo it, underdo it, you can whatever. I don't want to tell people that you can just go off, but everybody is different, and that's just the way it is. So um, uh, the timing of our death, the duration of our time in the grave, the status we will be given in eternity, and the rewards and losses we shall receive are all up to him. As we don't control these things, then why should we judge other believers in matters of a disputable nature, which he alone will decide upon? There are enough doctrinal issues which are clear and of great importance that we don't need to get in a tizzy over lesser issues. I was emailing with a friend about that uh, yesterday and today. I mean, there are certain things that are really inappropriate that go on in the church and they need to be called out. And there are some things that are just doctrinal differences, bad doctrine, like replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel. It has nothing to do with salvation, people. It has absolutely nothing. It's very bad doctrine, but it has nothing to do with salvation. And yet people say, if you don't support Israel, you're not a true Christian. I get so tired of seeing those type of posts because it, it, Israel has nothing to do with salvation. When you go to somebody in, in Guadalajara, Mexico, and you say, I want to tell you about Jesus, right? Do you say, well, before I tell you, I want you to know that if you don't support the state of Israel over there, then you're not going to go to heaven. So Jesus is secondary to that. It's nothing to do with it, right? Doctrine matters, but salvific issues are what is important. The Trinity, the, you know, the deity of Christ, the uh, uh, virgin, uh, virgin birth is a, a definitely a, a very important issue. That would those issues, the virgin birth is not something also that you're going to talk about when you talk to people about Jesus. You're just not going to introduce it. But if you do bring in the concept of the virgin birth before talking about Jesus and you say that it's not really true that he was born of a virgin, you will take away their chance of being saved because logically they now have a faulty Jesus. 
Okay, the simple gospel is what saved. Believe in Jesus Christ, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. But if you say that he was not born of a virgin, you now have a different Jesus than what you were going to portray to them. The simple gospel is what you should stick to when you're giving people the gospel. Okay, after that, then you can give them all the doctrine in the world. If they believe that simple gospel, they are saved. And then you tell them later, well, the virgin birth isn't really true. Now they have a question about the integrity of the Bible. They've got a question about... Well, how can that be? Because he was born sinless, and I know that sin came through Adam, okay, or from Adam through my father. And so now you've got a dilemma. That is something for them to work out in their doctrine. It's not something that will keep them from being saved afterwards, but it is something that will keep them from being saved if it's introduced before. Everybody understand that? Be careful about the, the simple gospel, the simple saving message, doctrinal issues like Israel and blah, blah, blah. Get to those later, and if people disagree with you, that's fine. They can be as wrong as they want. You be right about Israel, okay? That's the important thing. So um, where was I now? Um, I'm, oh, yeah. Remember, though, there is a difference between freedom to act and being coerced into acting. We have the freedom to eat what we wish or abstain from the same. We have the freedom to observe whatever day we wish, or we can consider all days the same. We talked about that in detail last week. All right. But when we are told that we must eat or not eat or that we must observe or not observe, then the line is crossed. Imposing the law where the law has been set aside is to set aside the grace of Jesus Christ. We do not do that. That is what Paul, especially in the book of Galatians, argues against again and again and again. He argues against reinserting the law or imposing any of the law on the people. He says, like I said last week, he uses circumcision as the benchmark, and he says, if you allow yourself to get circumcised, you're a debtor to the whole law. You are now under obligation to meet the whole law because you've set aside the grace of Christ. Okay? That's just the way that works. Understanding this distinction is necessary because it all comes down to what God has done in Christ. That's the whole point of sending Christ is to take care of these issues. Here, let me read you a verse that I'm always telling you that... Um, we are, uh, uh, I, I cite Leviticus 18.5 all the time. The man who does these things shall live by them, okay? All right. If you go to John, and I think it's chapter 7. Let me see if I can find this really quickly. And uh, let me see here. Uh, John 7, and hang on. Okay, here it is. John 7.19. Now, he's speaking to the big leaders of Israel, right? He's speaking to the, 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 the cream of the crop, okay? The people that are given the law of Moses. And what does he say? Did not Moses give you the law? Yet, none of you keep the law. None of you. That ought to be a clear indication that if he's speaking to the people that are accusing him of violating the law and not being sound in his doctrine, he says, none of you keep the law. Absolutely none of you. If they are the cream of the crop of Israel and they're not keeping the law, it's pretty apparent that nobody keeps the law. Certainly not the people that don't even know the precepts of the law because they've only heard it read every seventh year in the Feast of Tabernacles, right? So, which is in Deuteronomy, it says every seven years have the people gathered together in the Feast of Tabernacles, read this law so that they will learn to fear the Lord your God. And every time I read that, which I read it just a while ago in my, my daily reading, every time I read that, I think it's almost a crime. For me, I'm not talking about what he said to them, but for me, I, I cannot imagine going seven years without reading the Bible. 
I, I, I can't. I can't imagine going 10 days without reading the Bible. I'd be, I'd be beside myself. Every single day I wake up and it's the first thing I want to do. And every night before I go to bed, even when I'm so tired that I just want to not be alive, I read the Bible. I, I can't imagine in my own life what a crime that would be, hearing the law once every seven years. I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I would just be... I, I just couldn't do it. I can't even imagine what that would be like. So, you know, these people, that's all the education they got. And they depended on their, you know, Levites and their priests yeah. to give them the doctrine that they needed. So they lived proper lives. And here he says to them in John seven nineteen, even you don't do the things of the law. So there you go. It's a perfect example that the man who does these things will live by them. That's why none of them lived is because nobody did the things of the law. So uh, let's see here. Um, this distinction, understanding this distinction is necessary because it all comes down to what God has done in Christ. Freedom in him is exactly that. It means freedom. It doesn't mean any type of bondage at all. Rejecting what he has done then can only be bondage. Let us never allow our freedoms to be exchanged for a return to bondage. A little life application. Because we, never, we neither live nor die to self, we are to live for God and in harmony with those who are likewise in Christ. I know that's hard to do. I know it's hard to do, especially when you got somebody that's arguing over petty little issues. But we're trying to live likewise with those who are in Christ. To be separate from those who attempt to find fault in disputable matters and be at peace with God. Okay, that's what we're called to do. Uh, the one, what he says in Titus, I have to remind myself of this one once in a while. Instead of continuing to argue with people, rebuke a man once and a second time and then have nothing to do with him. Uh, or a divisive man. It's rebuke a divisive man. Just don't get into arguments with people over it. Live in harmony with them. And if they don't want to live in harmony with you, then just have nothing to do with them. Cut them off. Okay. 14.8. Here we are. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, belong to the Lord. Once again, very close, minor differences, which don't change any intent in this one. So 14.8, Paul is speaking to believers here as he has through the epistle. The earth and all its fullness belongs to the Lord. It is true. But Paul's words are not speaking in this general sense. Rather, his words are directed to those who are his in the sense of relationship, although this should be obvious from the surrounding context. And even within the verse itself, it is not uncommon for verses like this to be completely ripped out of their context and universally applied. But they are directed to his people, not to the world at large. Everybody got that? I'll read the verse again. Now, now that we've uh, heard that, let's read it again so that we know what I'm talking about. And it says, for we live if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And like I said, people will take that one verse, and they'll rip it out of the context, and they'll say, we all live to the Lord, and we all die to the Lord. And therefore, we're all the Lord's. It's what you kind of what you were talking about with the, the guy, I won't say what, but he believes that uh, everybody is saved. Well, it doesn't work that way. And he could use a verse like that, and he could say, see, he's not talking in that sense. He's talking specifically to and only to believers, okay? And so Paul begins with, for if we live, we live to the Lord. As an all-encompassing thought concerning our lives, he says, for if we live. This is stated to tie back to the previous thoughts concerning 
eating food and observing days. He has not departed from that, even though he's talking in general terms now, he has not departed from the thought of the food and the days. This is a touchy subject and he's going to completely flesh it out before he goes on to something else. He uses these two concepts as emblematic of all matters which are doubtful, okay? And obviously so, because the two things that guide our lives, I mean in their fullness, if you think of it, are food and days, right? Food, every time you eat, you say, oh, I'm so full, and you get home 30 minutes later, and what do you say? I'm hungry, I want to have some ice cream, absolutely. We are driven, literally, by our stomachs. And that's why when the Lord tested them in the wilderness, where did he go? He went to their stomachs and to the water they needed. He's going to test and see if they're faithful. We are driven literally daily, and not just daily, but within hours every single day by our stomachs. Okay? that's We are creatures that need to be fed. And he made that us that way so that we would be dependent on him. The second thing is days. We have a cycle of days, whatever it is. And we are dependent on that cycle of days. Hedico used to work five days a week. I finally, after years and years and years, I begged her, please take a day off. And it took years. I mean, she said, okay, I'll do it next year. And she didn't. I'll do it next year. Yeah. So finally, I got her to go down to four days. And she was like a little turbo jet going around the house on her fifth day or her day off because she's used to working all the time, right? We set our lives in a schedule. And so our lives are guided by that. And we get up at the same time, whether we've got a clock or not, everything about food and days we are we are captured by it and so it's obvious to use those two things as an example are the appropriate ones because then everything else which is secondary it has the same precept it's just not as important but food and days are okay um food is a daily necessity which keeps us alive and it sustains us when we observe a day or days during the week we form the schedule around which we conduct our other affairs in other words, these two things have been used by Paul as representative of our ongoing life and activities. You see, there's wisdom in what he's doing. We don't think of it this way unless we stop and we think, why would he pick that out? But then it all makes sense. Everything is driven by the, our food and our days. And so he's using that for everything in our life and our activities. If we eat, we do so to the Lord. If we observe a day or days, we do so to the Lord. Or as he said in verse 5, some people esteem, let me read it so I don't blow it. Um, I'm sorry, verse six, he who observes the day, I'm sorry, I was right, verse five, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. So it's not just that you might have one or two days off, you might not have any day off, and he doesn't begrudge you at all about that. End of story. Take your days, do what you want with them, and do it to the Lord, okay? If we do eat, we do so to the Lord. If we observe a day or days, we do so to the Lord. As these represent our general life, then he sums that up with, if we live, we live to the Lord. Food, days, life, okay? In the same manner, when these activities cease because of our death, we are no less the Lord's. Because of our position in Christ and our spiritual rebirth, our bodies may die, but we are eternally alive in him, okay? Another good verse for eternal salvation right there. We got a couple coming up in Hebrews in the next few days. There are verses that just point to these truths that have to be completely denied in order to come up with the doctrines of you can lose your salvation or the doctrine of, uh, you know, you were predestined and you don't have to choose Christ. Those things are just not correct. But, you know, people have to deny those things. All right. We are alive in Christ. We are alive in Christ. The moment that we call on Christ, we are spiritually reborn. 
we can't be imputed sin again, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 19, etc. All of these verses come to the logical conclusion that we are saved forever despite ourselves. Okay, which is great news. I got to tell you, that's really great news because if it was true that we could lose our salvation, not a person in here would be saved tomorrow. Right. I guarantee that. All right. You, you can deny that and say, oh, I don't think bad thoughts, but I know uh -huh. you do. So there you go. To confirm this, he says, if we die, we, oh, uh, wait a minute. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, where is it? Yeah. To confirm this, he says, if we die, we die to the Lord. This is a wonderful verse, which demonstrates the eternal security possessed by the believer. There is nothing including death, which can separate us from Jesus Christ. We are always his, right? Eternal salvation. I, it's one of those things. I don't care if people sit in this church and don't believe that doctrine, but they are not going to convince me or talk me out of teaching that doctrine. That is the doctrine that it, the Bible proclaims, and that is the doctrine that I will continue to teach. If you dis, just say I disagree with that, that is fine but you're not going to change my mind on it, and I will never teach any other doctrine than eternal salvation. It is a core and fundamental belief of mine that we are saved <laughs> eternally because God doesn't make mistakes. God does not make mistakes, okay? Therefore, therefore, because of these things, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. This sums up what has been stated in verses 1 through 7, okay? Having used that which sustains life, which is our food, and that which we determine, out, which determines our weekly cycle of life, the basic seven-day rotating period established at creation, Paul has shown that we belong to the Lord. Okay, now, if you've noticed, and I'm sure you have, you've been all around this world, and everywhere you go in this world, there is a how-many-day week? It's everywhere, okay? There are very few uh, exceptions to this in all of recorded history. I personally don't know of any that are really verifiable, but everywhere, it, there is a seven-day cycle that is drummed into humanity. And so it's just one of those things that it's the way it is. You know, I, there was a couple other things, and one of them just flew right out of my mind I was going to bring up, but there are certain things that the Lord has put into us. Here's a real perfect one. I don't care if you say you're an atheist or not, okay? Every time I say this, somebody answers immediately. What is the first thing you say in any language, too? When there's, yeah, when trouble comes, oh my God, or oh God, everybody, I don't care where I've been in this world and what culture I've been in, that is when oh something, Allah. yeah, you whatever, that. that's right, they, they, that's the first thing that comes off of people's lips is they are petitioning whatever God is out there, it, it's, it's drummed into us, so there you go, there are a few things like that, they're just, they're a, a part of who we are and what we do, so um, let's see here, um, therefore I said that, but let us remember what this means from the perspective of those previous verses that I just said, one through seven. The use of we is not speaking about the individual. Rather, he is speaking about all of those who are in Christ. Whoever is in Christ, whether he lives or he dies, he belongs to the Lord. As this is so, we are not to despise other believers over matters of food or days. Instead, we are asked to accept them and their mode of life and worship as having already been accepted by him. Remember Cornelius' houses. There's all kinds of people there. There were servants that he had worked probably seven days a week. There are people that had three days a week off, right, because they're rich. And they had the servants to do their stuff, and so they could. And some of them ate pork, and some of them were vegetarians, and some of them whatever. And the Holy Spirit came down on every one of them that believed. That's all that mattered was faith in Christ, okay? So we are accepted by him. 
Now that does not mean that we're accepted by him and we can stay in anything which is contrary to the word of God. We are given instructions. We are to take those instructions and we are to apply them to their life. Now, if you think about it, when those people received Jesus Christ, right? Peter went down to Cornelius' house. They all received Jesus and then Peter left their house. Was there a church there? No, there was no church. There was nobody. I mean, it was just the, the guy had a vision. And so what kind of doctrine did they have for the rest of their lives? They had none. They had no doctrine. All they had was the Old Testament. They could read that, but they had that, what he just said. They had that doctrine. They had the doctrine that they were saved by Christ. If that, just that concept alone, isn't a doctrine of eternal salvation, I don't know what else is because they didn't have anything else. And they, nobody came in and just said, okay, we've got believers there. We're going to build a church there in Caesarea. It probably took years and years and years. Some of those people may never have again in their lives heard anything about Jesus. And yet they were saved on that day and the Holy Spirit came down upon them. Deal done okay it just if you think through because we're so saturated with bibles in america and theology and we got five thousand churches on sarasota alone right i think there are like thirty thousand different denominations or there's some huge number of denominations and and so we're so saturated with theology and with bibles and with our knowledge of things here that we get nitpicky over the smallest little things people just back and forth and back and forth over teeny little items of minutiae when in fact jesus saved them they were saved and that was probably the end of their religious experience with jesus unless you know maybe they met and they talked about it you know god saved us 10 years ago and we're still praising him for it. i don't know but there wasn't anything that they had to go to to learn theology other than possibly getting a copy of the jewish scripture somehow or going to a synagogue and listening to that and saying well that is what we were told about but that points to jesus i mean i don't know i don't know and for almost all of the church age nobody had bibles up until a couple hundred years ago it was a very very costly thing to own your own bible i mean they had to be written out by hand they took years to make you know the gilded copies that they have with the beautiful stuff they would be for royalty they would be for a special church that was about it and then you came up with the printing press and they got a little cheaper, but it was still very expensive to have a Bible. And then, if you know, if you wanted a Gutenberg Bible, you had to pay like a million dollars for it. Right. I'm kidding, because oh. that's what they are now. It's, but even then they were expensive. People didn't have them. There wasn't a lot of them. And then you get the 1700s and people started getting their own copies instead of a, a congregational copy. And then the 1800s, everybody was given one at their baptism, maybe. Whether they read it or not, I don't know. And then you get up to the 1800s and you start getting scholars' comments in books along with your Bible, right? You've got Young's uh, Concordance of the Bible and Strong's Concordance of the Bible. And you've got all this information and you keep developing. And so we sit at the end of all of that and we look back and we say, well, they can't be good Christians because, you know, they don't they don't brush their teeth on Sunday or whatever. You know, I mean, people get into the, the craziest things over this when the fact is that Jesus saves people and he saves them eternally. OK, holier than Taoism, holier than Taoism. And the uh, what did we call it again? The something wave, the, uh, oh, the uh, he had a term anyway, whatever. Like yeah, the something wave. But the Catholic calisthenics, I like that as well. So, okay, here we go. Um, life application. Make an effort when you encounter the word therefore to go back and see what it's there for, okay? Verses, especially verses with conjunctions, are not isolated thoughts which can be 
pulled out of their greater context. Instead, they build upon what has previously been stated. Okay? 14.9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Hey, hey, they're great verse. Okay, let me read that again because it's so wonderful. For this, to this end, Christ died and rose again and lived again. Excuse me, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Wonderful verse. Okay, a review of some of the closest conjunctions of the preceding verses, the ones that we just read, will help us to understand what Paul is relaying in this verse. Okay, so he said, for, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For, as he says in this verse, to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. As always, he uses these connectors to build his thoughts and to help us to be sound in our doctrine. The first four came as a result of the idea that the things we as believers do are centered on the faith that we possess. And because this is so, one, we neither live nor die to ourselves but rather we exist for the Lord who has redeemed us. Everybody got that? We're not living to ourselves. We're not dying to ourselves. We're living for the Lord who has redeemed us too. As he is the Lord of both the living and the dead, then in both life and death, our conduct should be directed to him. And three, because of these things, no matter what happens to us, either in life or in death, we still belong to him. Once again, eternal salvation. And then verse 9, 4, it was for this all-encompassing state in which we live that Christ died and rose again. What would be the point of the cross of Jesus Christ if it were only the Lord of the dead? And what a sad state it would be if he were only the Lord of the living because we all die. So either way, if he's not the Lord of both the dead and the living, there's a problem. In either of those scenarios, there would be a lack in his lordship. It would not be an all-encompassing lordship, and therefore he wouldn't truly be lord at all. Everybody got that? If he's not the lord of the living, okay, if he's not the lord of the dead, he has to be lord of both of them. Presidents aren't presidents of the dead, are they? When a person is dead, they're freed from the law of the United States of America. They don't live for the United States anymore. It is over, okay? And anyone could die at any time during a presidential term. Therefore, their presidency is a temporary and tenuous type of rule. The same is true with kings and any other type of leader. You're a subject of the king. He's a tyrant over you and you die. Guess what? You're freed from his tyrannical rule, right? Or if you have a great king and you love him and you die first, then you have lost a part of his kingship. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. He is the Lord of the living and of the dead. But Christ died for his people at the cross of Calvary. Because he did, he is the Lord of all of his people who have died. And even more, Christ was triumphant over death. He rose again. Because he did, he is the Lord of all of the living. There is no aspect of the believer's existence that is not covered by Jesus Christ. He is the complete Lord of his people. Hallelujah for that. Because some of us might punch our ticket in the next 30 days. We have no idea. And if that happens, 
we are safe in Christ. We are in Christ and he is the Lord of the dead and the living. Some of us might live another 20, 50, 100 years if he doesn't come at the rapture, whatever. Okay, we have no, I don't want to live to be 154 years old. I'm sorry. I just, that doesn't interest me at all. 54 has been a, a love, tough road already and uh, it gets tougher with every year. So, oh, but anyway, Paul is asking us to remember this because we have believing friends who have died. Christ is their Lord. We, uh, you know, we were talking about, what's her name? Molly Hibbets is her name? Tibbets. Tibbets. She died, right? Somebody took her life and, well, the liberal media doesn't seem to care, but she died. And guess what? She was a Christian. Somebody sent me a video of her praying and thanking God for one of her achievements there at a, a, I think it was a football game or something. And she was speaking about it openly to the people. Well, that's why they don't want to talk about her in the news media is because she's somebody that had purpose in life. They want to take away people's purpose in life, but she's dead now. But guess what? The Lord is her Lord. She's dead and it doesn't make any difference. Her destiny is secure. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to read that again. But Christ died for his people at the cross of Calvary. And because he did, he is the Lord of all of his people who have died. And even more, Christ was triumphant over death. He rose again. Because he did, he is the Lord of the living. There's no aspect of the believer's existence that is not covered by Christ. He is the Lord of his people. Okay. Everybody got that. Paul is asking us to remember this because we have believing friends who have died. Christ is their Lord. We also are here for an indeterminate amount of time, and our time is filled with setbacks, trials, and troubles. But he is our Lord through those times. We are being invited to view the world and all that it brings our way from the perspective of Jesus, cross, death, and resurrection. The most formidable foes that we could have ever faced or may face have been vanquished. Christ is the Lord. Good news. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death, it says in Revelation 1.18. Man, no fear here. I got to tell you what, like I say, I don't want death to be a crunchy one, but I don't mind dying at all. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. The thought of dying does not scare me at all. It doesn't bother me at all. I just don't want it to be kind of painful on the way out. But if that's what he determines, that's what it's going to be. But uh, yeah, no fear here at all. And if we live a long time, that's okay too. I'm going to continue to do what I can for him. And, and I hope everybody would have the same attitude towards him. He is our Lord and he is there. He has the keys of Hades and death and he has prevailed. So good job. Life application, our relationship with Jesus isn't just a get-together on Sunday morning. Our relationship with Jesus is an every-moment existence. He is our baptizer into the Holy Spirit. We now have the fullness of his presence at all times, but he can get more of us. So submit to Christ and live each moment for him. Ah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, next verse. Yeah, we got plenty of time. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Okay, very similar. Other than saying look down on your brother, this one says show contempt for your brother. Other than that, almost identical. But why do you judge your brother? That's Paul. He's asking according to what he has submitted so far in this chapter. If someone wants to refrain from eating certain foods, then don't laugh at them in their weakness. If someone eats anything and everything, then don't judge them as if they were somehow unacceptable to Christ. Okay, now there is a 
statement in the New Testament about gluttony. Okay, we're not to be gluttons. I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about eating any types of meat, not any amounts of meat. Okay, so we're not to be gluttons. We're not to. Uh, and actually, does anybody know what the practice of gluttony really was back in those days? It's pretty horrible what they did. Yes, they eat and then they go out and they voluntarily vomit and then they go in and eat again. Yeah, well, like bulimics, but it wasn't bulimic. They wanted to eat and enjoy it, and then eventually they didn't. You know, they got big and healthy, but it was just that they wanted to experience eating continuously. And so, yeah, it's disgusting. That's 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 gluttony in its highest sense. But it's also just eating and eating and eating for the sake of eating. But yeah, it's very gross. But uh, there you uh, whatever. Anyway, they have what? Mints? Yeah, you you ate, you did what you did, and then you ate a mint, and then you went back in. Yes, I, I suppose. I don't know. Anyway, if someone eats anything and everything, then don't judge them as if they were somehow unacceptable to Christ. God has already accepted them. Remember Acts chapter 10 when you start picking on somebody eating a pork chop, okay? As a matter of fact, just say to him, if you're eating a pork chop and somebody comes up and says, what kind of a Christian are you? You're eating pork. Say, have you ever read Acts chapter 10? I bet you you haven't. If you haven't, go read it in context, okay? Just put the Bible back on them. Let them wallow in their own misery and then have another bite, okay? And the same is uh, true with the observance of certain days. If someone wants to go to church on Thursday morning, isn't that his business? Those things which are not specified in the Bible, in the New Testament, for believers are left up to personal choice. So who are we to judge another for what they have been given liberty by Christ to do? Okay? Likewise, why do you show contempt for your brother, he asks? Showing contempt is, in fact, a type of judgment on them. And that's, you know, when people say, don't judge lest you be judged, and they hold up all those signs. And that's what Jesus was speaking about. So don't go around pointing at people and saying, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. You know, they're, they're nitpicking finger pointers, right? That's what he's talking about. It's a state of judging people instead of saying, you know, I'm just as bad. I'm doing my own things. It's just finding fault in everybody else. And how do we know that that's the case? It's because in the same paragraph, he tells them to be wise and discerning. Don't throw your pearls to the pig. So he's telling you, make a judgment. He's speaking about the type of judgment which is hypocritical at best, okay? So uh, showing contempt, as I said, is in fact a type of judgment on them. If you refrain from eating pork, and I know I keep bringing up pork, but it's because it's the one thing that really divides Christianity. It's part of the law of Moses, misunderstood by Christians today, and so that's a good place to stay at when we're giving examples. Sunday morning and pork, those are really good places to stay at. Okay, or actually Saturday morning because of Sabbath people, but whatever. Um, so uh, you still have no right to look down on people who do eat pork as if they were somehow beneath you. Diet in particular has become a standard of class in modern society. People who refrain from certain foods, especially meat, tend to look down on those who eat meat as if they were more contemptible than they. And that's why every day I get this jolly feeling. I love it. It's in the mall I take care of. There's in the very back shop, which I have to walk by every day first, is there's a vegan shop. And these are hardcore vegans. There's no meat. There's no egg. Vegan. There's nothing. Yeah, vegan. No, no. Vegan. vegan. Whatever. Vegan, vegan. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Doesn't interest me. But these are people that there's there's no animal product at all. It's very hardcore. And right next to it, in the first three shops, they, they took out the walls. And so they have three shops right next to it is the 
German place and they had <laughs> bratwurst and people sitting out, you know, in the, the place and they're eating their bratwurst oh and these vegan God. people are sitting there and they're like cringing and all of their, their cars have, and I understand if oh there are God. people online that are listening and they're vegans, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I'm just giving the example on the back of their cars, all three of them, the girls that work there, vegan, vegan, don't eat meat, blah, blah. And you know, some of them, they, they are not real judgmental but some of the if you drive around town you see them they've got you're a killer if you yeah. eat animals and it's like they look down on you and that's what it's i'm talking about here okay read that again people who refrain from certain foods especially meat tend to look down on those who eat meat as if they are more contemptible than they and they've got a real problem there if they're going to do it to the german place because there's a lot of bratwurst being served so anyway Add Christian faith into that mix, and it becomes a standard of accepting them as fellow Christians. Well, you eat pork, you're not my fellow Christian, or you don't observe the Sabbath, you're not my fellow Christian. They, they start dividing over things that should not even be considered as issues, okay? And the funny thing is, we're reading the same Bible. We're evaluating these verses right now, which are as clear as they could be. Anybody have a problem with this? Did I, anything I've said about eating meat or days? Does it all make logical sense? Paul is speaking about any day of the week. Don't any day of the week, right? He's speaking about any food or no food, right? Everybody, we're all on the same page, right? And yet there are denominations that will literally hate other people because they don't worship on a Saturday. They say you're not a true Christian. And, so, and yet this same Bible is in their hands and they have failed to take it in context. They've completely failed to take it in context. That's the thing that's so difficult to reconcile is that I say it time and again, everybody is a specialist in theology. Everybody, okay? I know more than you do, and most people have never read the Bible one time in their life. Or if they've read it, they've read a part of it. There are some people that have read it a lot, but they read it from having it drummed into their head, and so everything they read is already biased, okay? The people that go out and just say, I want to know Jesus, they hear about him on a the street, they get evangelized, and then they start reading the Bible for themselves. They don't get into this type of stuff no. because they they start at the beginning and they have a hunger for this word and they have a hunger to take it and understand it. And they might have a lot of questions about it, but they want to know it properly. Those are the people that aren't arguing over these nitpicky issues. It's people that either have never read the Bible and have been trained something or that have read the Bible after they have been trained and they already have their ideas in their head. Okay, we're reading the same book here. Okay, I'm going to read that again so you know where I'm at. Add Christian faith into that mix, and it becomes the standard of accepting them as fellow Christians. But Paul has already shown that those who don't eat are the ones that are weak in the faith, not the other way around. Remember we talked about that last week. It's the weak ones. So where does the contempt come from? It comes from, begins with P, ends with ride. Pride, right? Okay, that's right. So where does the contempt come from? It comes from pride within self. You eat pork and I don't, and I'm better than you. That's all, than yes, holier than thou. That's exactly right. It comes down to pride. The very fact that Paul asks these two questions demonstrates that they are unacceptable attitudes towards those around us. Let those who eat enjoy their food without being held in contempt. Then let those who abstain enjoy their food without judgment likewise have the same attitude towards others observance or non-observance of certain days 
Paul has already said that those who have called on Christ have been received by Christ. That was in verse 3. Let's go back and read it so you know I'm not making that up. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Think of Acts 10, Holy Spirit down on them, and they had no doctrine at all at that point. They heard about Jesus, they believed, and the Holy Spirit came down on them. God has received them. Okay, so... Verse 3, he is the final judge of all such things. And we know this is true because he continues with the words, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's a scary thought. If you're a finger pointer and you've been finger pointing at people and Paul's been telling you not to do that and you're going to stand right next to the guy you've been finger pointing at for your whole life, you got to stand right next to him. and He is going to be the one that's vindicated. You go back and you think of what Jesus said about the uh, sinner in the temple and the Pharisee standing next to him. And the Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. And I do this and I do this. And I'd point my finger at him and him and him. And this guy here says he wouldn't, Jesus said he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat himself. And he said, Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He said, that guy went home justified, not him. Okay. Well, that's what we've got in Christian circles. People pointing their fingers and they don't go home justified. They go home ready to be judged by Jesus. For believers, the question of salvation is not addressed here because salvation is eternal. It is a grant which will not be revoked. Therefore, the judgment we will receive from Christ is a judgment for rewards and loss of rewards. That is what Paul is speaking about in this context. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul explains this judgment. Okay, I'm going to take you there and we're going to go through it. It's just a couple verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. Oh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Get into the right one, Charlie. 2 Corinthians 5, and he says right here, this is, there's a couple places where he speaks of the judgment seat of Christ. This is one of them. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Exactly what he's speaking about in Romans and with the rest of our life and all of his other verses, we want to be pleasing to him. That's how we learn the Bible, we learn the word of God, and we can be pleasing to him. Remember now, think of what I said earlier about Cornelius' house. They didn't have any scripture. They may never have gone to a church in their whole life for the rest of their whole life. So how did they please God? By praising him, by worshiping him, by not condemning other people, but by telling people, gee whiz, you know, we heard the message that somebody came and died for our sins. That's pleasing to God. They did what they could with their limited amount of knowledge, and they probably were successful at it. Okay, so we'll go on. Verse 5, 9, pleasing to him. For we all... No exception here. This is every believer. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one, you and you and you and you and me and all of us, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Well, for us now, because we are accountable, he who has more knowledge is more accountable. We know that's true. Okay, the less knowledge, the less accountable. We're still accountable, but we all have this book. And the people that have this book sitting on their shelf and they receive Jesus and they've never read it or they go to a church that doesn't preach this word will be accountable for what they should have been responsible for. The people in the 1500s that only had a copy on the pulpit in the church and they all heard it once a week, that is all the Lord's going to hold them accountable for. He's not going to hold them accountable for something they don't know. Or I would go so far as to say if you could know it and you ne neglected it, like I said, somebody has the Bible at home and they don't apply it to their life, I would assume that he would probably hold us accountable for that too. Okay, if we have the ability to know something and we don't pursue that ability, he's going to say, why didn't you? You watch TV 40 hours a week, right? 
You went out to the beach and got a suntan. You could have read the Bible where you're out there. Okay. Yeah, you can listen to it while you're driving. I mean, so I do think that people will be held accountable for those type of things as well. But we'll go on. He says, um, whether what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. And he's speaking to believers. The terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. The terror of the Lord, because we are all going to stand there and he is going to look at us and he is going to burn away everything that is bad. Wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to be burned up, right? Anything that we didn't do that was of value for Christ is going to be burned up. So we might as well at least do our best to apply our lives to Christ and whatever we're doing. Driving down the road, talk to him. Lord, I love you. You know what? I'm not a great theologian. I don't remember that verse, but I know that I should do something with it. Help me with that. You know, just talk to him. He's there. He's there to uh, help us through our troubles and our trials. So, okay. He goes on. The things done in the body. This is Paul. The things done in the body are our actions from the time of our salvation. They will be judged in a completely fair and unbiased manner. And rewards will be based on whether they survive the judgment. Now, this is one that I know it upsets people that disagree with me on this issue. I don't care. Okay. It's something that I want you to think about. Suppose I'm right on this. It says in 1, uh, 1 Timothy uh, 2, yeah, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, that a woman is not to teach or have authority over a man, okay? And we could take uh, 20 other precepts out of the uh, Bible to show that that is correct, okay? A elder is to be the husband of but one wife, implying that it's a guy because right. a woman is going to be married right. to a woman, okay? So we have all of these things that say that men are to be teachers in the Word, okay? Let me read my thought, and I'll go back to that. What did I just say? I said, the things done in the body are actions from the time of our salvation. They will be judged in a completely fair and unbiased manner, and rewards will be based on whether they survive the judgment. Okay. Jane receives Jesus Christ, and she is saved. Okay. And she knows what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. But she ignores it, and she goes out, and she starts preaching to men. She teaches in a church to men, okay? She eventually gets ordained as a whatever. She's, she's a pastor of a church, okay? But she is saved, okay? She does all kinds of great things, and she brings a thousand people to Christ. Will she receive a reward for that? For what? No. Rich. For, for any of the things she did, teaching or instructing men? Oh, no. Absolutely not. Oh, no. Not one, because the Lord is completely impartial. His standard is right here. I don't care what anybody says about this issue. If you are doing something really great and you are not doing it in accord with this word, you will not receive rewards for it. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. Maybe Jane is saved, but she will not receive rewards for what she did because she was disobedient to the very word that she was telling people about. All she of those was people responsible for a thousand she, people coming to Christ. You know, I'm thinking that the Lord being fair and all knowing that he is. They okay, will receive their salvation. for becoming a, a, a minister. Whatever. But, you know. They will receive your, their salvation. You actually did something for me. He will not say that. He will absolutely not. He will so not he, give her a reward. I'm not, I'm not going to waver okay. on this. Okay, he will fine. not just, give I'm her a discussing. reward. Her I'm reward, gonna, she, could, she could go with this. 
her reward would be those people were saved by me. That's yeah. That would be it. Okay. But she is. She, yeah. That would there be her go. personal right. reward. Okay. But he's right. not going to reward her yeah. with something for it because he is unbiased in right. his okay. judgment. If you do something contrary to the word of God and you do something good in the process, in other words, the end does not justify the means ever. If we use that term in our legal system, the Lord will use it in a perfectly fair manner. It will never justify the means. It doesn't matter what you did that was good. If you did it with the wrong intent or in a state of disobedience, he would not be the Lord God to reward you for that. He would not do it. Okay? He, yes, he cannot violate his own nature. I don't understand Go ahead. how a woman like Beth Moore, who's so popular and so... Hey, you want to hear something even more? What? There is actually people in the Southern Baptist Convention that are talking about making her the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. What? Yeah. Hey, listen, they can do whatever they want. They are already going down the wrong direction. The SBC has been doing this for the past Seriously. couple years. They've been starting to waffle in their convictions. But they, you know, one of the things about the SBC is that they have always been on the wrong side of the alcohol issue. They have forbidden oh, right. it completely in congregants, and that is contrary to the word of God. And so they were on a legalistic side, and now they are trying to make up for that by going to the other side, and they are starting to get into this almost liberal attitude. And I gotta tell you, that is a real problem. They, they need to get people in control there very quickly, or they are going to devolve as quickly as the Methodist church did, as quickly as the Presbyterian church did, they are going to devolve. Because once that yeast gets in there, the whole loaf gets leavened. That is what happens. We cannot allow these things into our churches. And it's not judgmental. It is not chauvinistic. It is none of those things. It is holding to the word of God. That is Okay, here's a question for you. Okay, okay. They have, she's saying women of faith. That's a big, big deal. Right. Okay? And that's fine. But yeah. the question I have, what if a husband goes with their wife? And they do. So Look at any one of the DVDs of her that. teaching, and it's full of men in the congregation. So, what I'm saying is, she should say, she "Men, should, you either need to okay, leave, or should see, she should say, I'm I can't not, teach today." Okay. That's what she that's should do okay. because that is no, no, no. Let's not go on. Let's not argue this. No, this okay, is go a ahead. Aside from that, all right. Um, preaching the gospel is a command. Yes, it is. Why would we get rewards for doing what we're supposed to do? Not get rewarded. Well, no, no. She's saying that why would the Lord reward us for for what doing what we're supposed to do? And I got to agree with you. If you tell somebody about Jesus, I mean, that's something we should be doing. Why would the Lord reward? Because the Lord is perfectly yeah, just in what He does. There are people that are not obeying His commands, and they will receive loss for that. The people that do what He says, He's going to reward you for doing what He says. That's when you do what is right, you will receive your reward. Okay, that's just the way it is. So if even if it's something we are supposed to do, he is going to be fair and just and he is going to reward us for what we are doing, which is correct. He will do it. So don't don't think that you telling somebody about Jesus is going to keep you from getting a reward. That's not going to happen at all. He will he will reward you. Okay. I understand your logic there. So that's that is no problem. The Lord is going to reward people for what they do for him. And as I said, if it's as simple as just driving down the road and talking to him, right? He's going to reward you because you are acknowledging him by faith that he's there. You know, unless you're crazy and you're just talking to nobody or to yourself. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about Christians. I'm just talking people that do that. They're not getting a reward for that. But if you're talking to the Lord, who is your Lord, then he, he you're acknowledging his existence. How many people don't do that? And they're in churches all the time. So there you go. No problem. Okay, so 
And I know that's a sticky thing, and if people disagree with me on it, that's fine. But the Bible says what it says about that issue. Okay. I'm and curious. No, no, I agree. What her responsibility is. Her responsibility is to not do what she is told not yes. to do. That yes. is her responsibility. Okay. Um, let me take you to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15, where this is. Go, what? Oh, I had my hand up to read that. Go ahead. Here, this, you go ahead. Read it loud. You got it up. Okay. 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15. Here we go. This is what Burke, he was over there waving his hand, and I was like, I got to move on because we've got three or four questions and I need to move on and I ignored him. So sorry about that, Burke. Each one's work will become clear. Okay? Each one's work will become clear. Every person in here, your work will become clear. You know what? You can do things that are good for people and nobody will ever know. They will never know. And isn't that a good feeling when you've done something nobody knows? I mean, you, you might have the little twinge and you're like, I wish somebody would know this. Well, the Lord does, so you don't need to have that twinge. But it's a good feeling when you do something and you think, I'm Nobody knows this but me, right? Even the person that received the blessing, they don't know I did this, right? It's a good feeling, but the Lord knows. And so it will become clear, okay? For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. This is what I was referring to a minute ago of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he is built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as by fire. Okay? So you, once again, you will not lose your salvation for not doing anything. You can sit on your thumbs for the rest of your Christian life and do nothing, and you will not lose your salvation. Or you can do all kinds of things that are not right, because he says right there, they'll be burned up. They won't endure. So you can do things that are not right. So much for losing your salvation, because you know what? If you're saved, you're saved. But the things you do that are of value to Christ, he's going to reward you for them. So don't fret over it. Don't think, you know what? I don't think I've done anything for Jesus in my life, and I wonder what my rewards are going to be. If you feel that way, it's because you have a spiritual connection to the Lord. It's because you care. It's the people that don't care. You know, what kind of an attitude? Gee whiz. I mean, Christ died for me, and he washed away all my sins, and... That was great and I'm glad and I'm saved and that's it. No, you know, the fact that you should care about that shows that you're caring enough that you're probably gonna get a reward simply for caring. But I think you that's know? a fire that somebody once they are saved. Oh yeah, it's, it's, that's but it can be quenched so quickly. Oh, you know what, true. you can lose your fire so quickly. I mean, the world beats you up. There have been days where I, I just thought, oh, I'm so thankful to be alive. Lord, let me go out and tell somebody about Jesus. And an hour later, I just think, my fire is quenched yeah. completely because we went, the world is attacked. We went through a month of torture with that. Once we came to Christ, it was like, we're telling everyone, and they're like, just shut up. Oh, boy. Like, I'm happy like, for you. Yeah, oh, gee, but, I'm happy uh, for you. Happy no, you don't understand. You, you know, and you yeah. want them. You want them to empathize. But, they, you know, until the Lord, yeah. you know, they receive the Lord, it, there's just, they can't, they can't get it. So, mm -hmm. anyway, that's the uh, rewards and losses. Good things will be saved and purified. Bad things will be burned up. Okay, so understanding this, what I just read and what I commented on, it should be clear that we have no right or authority to judge one another in these undefined matters. Okay, if something isn't defined, don't point your finger at them. That's the whole point of what Paul has been saying here. If it's undefined, leave it alone. We, you and you and you and all of you out there and Burke and me, we do not set the standard. That's what we have to remember. We don't set a standard. Okay, rather Jesus said it in the pages of scripture. 
that is where the standard is. If we impose the standard and we say you need to do this, I was in a very legalistic church one time and they imposed standards. They don't want people dancing. They'd freak out if people danced. Are you kidding? I mean, David twirled yeah. in the presence of the Lord, right? So it's just, you're imposing a standard which is completely unbiblical, or if you take from the word of God, you know, and both are destructive. People can say, well, those liberal churches are, well, guess what you're doing in your legalistic church? You're doing just the opposite, but it's just as harmful, okay? It is just as harmful, okay? We don't set the standard. Jesus said it in the pages of scripture, and we are to adhere to that. When we violate scripture, he will judge us for loss. When we uphold his words, he will judge us for reward. And those things which are not delineated in scripture are matters of conscience for the individual, not for others to judge and condemn. Okay, that sums up, I mean, all of what we've been talking about for about eight verses. Mm -hmm. Don't judge others on things that are disputable, things that aren't delineated in any way in scripture. Life application. Scripture is our standard. It's, you were talking about the church, right? He was talking about the church and uh, up in uh, New Jersey, right? And he was saying that they were talking about Jesus, Jesus saves, and then they started throwing in things that had nothing to do with it. All of a sudden, your relevant stuff is being added in, and you think, why would you do that? Just stop with the Jesus saves, and don't worry about you know you need to do this, and you got to say your hail marys, and you got to do that. I mean, don't add. Put a period. Put a period. Put Jesus, a period. period. Yeah. Right. I, one day I put that, and one person got it. Charlie really? Missy, the the, uh, the uh, Filipino girl that's oh, yeah, over yeah, in California, the, the gray shirt yeah. person. I put Jesus with a period after that, and one of those big banners on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And she said, that's it, Jesus, period. She got it. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, anyway. Um, scripture is our standard. When those, oh, I've already said that, yeah, but when their actions have not been defined by Scripture, we need to step back and allow them the freedom which has been granted in Christ, okay? That's it. Let them be free. Yes? Talking about this having defeats after victories. Oh, yeah. Elijah had oh. a great victory. It was all those prophets were killed at Baal. 450. Then he goes and it's under a juniper tree or whatever you want to call it. And, well, it's me. And the Lord says, what are you doing here? He lost his ministry he, to Elisha because, completely. you know, he, he, I'm, I'm all alone and I, I, I can't do this. Yeah, absolutely. What a lesson, you know, what a lesson. There's a lot in that passage. I'm going to tell you what, that, that passage would take a lot to... Uh, you know, I, I, and I'm not talking about just analyzing the way we do in our sermons. I'm talking about just apply. You know, I heard a sermon one time. It says, go hide yourself. And then he says, go show yourself many verses later. And you think of the Lord directing, go hide yourself, go show yourself. And the, the pictures that you can draw out of that. And then one of the things that I did, I'm going to take, well, where is that? Find that really quickly. It's uh, one, it, one King's, uh, yeah. just somebody type in Elijah and it'll come up or Type in the prophets of Baal or something. We'll get there. And I just want to, I want to show you something I used to do with scripture. I've done it. I went through uh, one or two times reading the Bible, so I didn't miss any. And I made a list of them. But uh, it's, it, uh, let me see if we can find this really quickly. Um, uh, if you can find, you've got your thing. So just put in the 450 prophets of Baal and that'll come. One Kings. First chapter of Second Kings is probably going to be. He's got one Kings, but okay. Right, we'll meet the messengers. Uh, I don't know. Elisha's taken to heaven. Well, he goes to heaven. Well, that no, he had to. He had to. Uh, 
hang on. Okay, so if we don't find it, we don't find it. But it's just one of those interesting things that there are several of them in Scripture that I thought I'd show you something kind of interesting about it. Elijah turned back, yoke of oxen. Uh, go, Elisha, Elijah, the people, um, all the people. Oh, here it is. Okay, so he's got two opinions. And then um, it's uh, 1 Kings 18. All right. And um, let's see if we can find this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And then it goes, um, uh, verse 14, uh, 1 Kings 19, 14. But I want to go there, and I also want to go one other place. Um, uh, go out, uh, hang on, and the angel of the Lord, then he looked, and he's who lay asleep. Um, hang on, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. And let me see if I can find this. He wrapped his face, then the Lord went out. Okay, okay, here it is. Verse 10 first, 1 Kings 19, 10. And if you read the Bible and you look for these, it's just interesting. It says here, so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken your, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then it goes down, verse 11, 12, 13, yeah, 14. It says it in verse 14, but it's not just that it says the same thing. It's that nothing was said by him in between. He says exactly the same thing. And there are several times in scripture, there are quite a few actually. One of them was when the girl said, hey, Joseph, lie with me. And then there's an intervening thing. And then it says, same thing again, lie with me, right? So there are times where there's an interval between two things which are exactly the same set. So the next time you read your Bible through, look for those and we'll compare a list and we'll see if they match. I know Burke will, because I said it. But there, it, what? No, it's not a chiasm. It's just that nothing is said by that individual. Now, there'll be other things that are said in between, but that individual says nothing, and then he says exactly the same thing again a second time. And there are, there are actually quite a few of them. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting, and I've never figured out why that would be. But exact word for word, the same thing is being said by the person, even though there's an interval of time and somebody else speaking in between the two. So if you can figure out a reason why that is the way it is, I think it would be kind of cool to see it, but I no, I couldn't find a key, chiasm in there to show that. But anyway, we'll go on. Verse 14, 11, please. Uh, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. All right. Isn't that wonderful? Where is that? Who says it? Don't look down at your Bible. Who says that? Isaiah. Isaiah. Oh, you did luck. Okay, he cheated. All right. Yes, that's 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 all right. Already that's all right. He had it right in front of his eyes. Okay, Isaiah said that. Okay. Again, we begin with the conjunction for, which was failingly left off in his Bible. It just says it is written. These conjunctions are really important. You notice how sometimes I'll stop and I'll take you through. It is written. It says it is written, yeah. right? It doesn't say for. It says actually oh, okay. for there. And that's why I'm saying sometimes you'll get somebody, they'll leave something off. And to me, conjunctions are really important because he's building an argument. He said for, 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 therefore, for, for, right? So he's building up something. And so taking out those conjunctions, you don't mentally stop and go back and think about why. Whereas it just says it is written, well, maybe starting a new thought. But when he says for, he's building on something. That's why I say conjunctions are really important. Highlight them, circle them, whatever. And if it's not in there, it, you know, whatever. It is now. Um, it is now. Yeah, <laughs> for. Um, it shows us this verse is tied to the previous discussion. It's not isolated. It's not cut off. It's not something new. Okay? Because it is, it has to be evaluated from that context. And like I said, if that for isn't there, you might just rip it out of context and say, well, he's starting something new. It's important to know your uh, when a conjunction is there and what the reason is, okay? So, um, therefore, the quote which Paul now gives is from Isaiah 45, verse 23. 
It's given not so much for the truth that all people will pay obeisance to Jesus, which is true nonetheless, okay, as it is to acknowledge that every person is accountable to Jesus rather than the arbitrary judgment of others. You see why the four is important now? Because if he's just citing it without the four, then you, you might just say, well, he's starting something new. But now you understand he's saying this for a reason. It's still dealing with the same issue. Don't be a finger pointer. Okay, while well, I'm pointing my finger. Okay, uh, anyway, so um, yeah, it, it, we're all accountable. Uh, it, it is to acknowledge that every person is accountable to Jesus rather than the arbitrary judgment of others. In other words, Romans 14 verses 1 through 10 have been talking about other believers' accountability to Christ, not to us. We are to refrain from judging others based on matters which Christ has not specifically defined. Using foods, the observance of certain days are the two examples he used. Why? Because it's because they encompass all of our life, food and days. But if he's giving such, uh, what do you call it, uh, attention to those two things, then it applies to all things within life. Okay, everybody got that. All right, so understanding the, this quote from the context will help us to keep it in the intended train of thought. And so he now states, for it is written. Paul is reaching back once again to scripture to justify his previous thoughts. Returning to his often cited prophet Isaiah, he gives a general idea of Isaiah 45 verse 23. I'm going to read it to you because it's not a direct quote. Isaiah 45 verse 23. We're in the book of Hebrews right now with our daily devotionals and it does not always match the Hebrew when he cites the Bible. He is citing the Greek translation of the Old Testament and almost all citations are word for word. Okay, whereas um, uh, the apostles and even Jesus people, when they wrote what Jesus said, they're citing the Greek copy of the uh, Old Testament quite often. Not always, sometimes it's from the Hebrew, but uh, what was that verse? It was verse 45, 45 23. 23. Okay, 45 23 says, um, uh, I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. I'm reading on just because it's beautiful. To him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Okay, so there you go. That's what it says there. It must be noted for the sake of doctrine that this quote is preceded by these words in Isaiah 45, 22. I am God... And there is no other. Thank you. All right. And then immediately following the quote, this is read in Isaiah 45, 24, which I just read. He shall say, surely I am Jehovah. I am the Lord. I have righteousness and strength. In other words, Paul is showing us several things very clearly. One, there is how many gods? There is one God. Two, the Lord, meaning Jehovah or Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever term you apply, okay, he is God, right? Okay, there's one God, Jehovah is God. Three, if this is being applied to Jesus in the New Testament, then Jesus is Jehovah, he is God, okay? That is what we can infer from that. And he does this again and again and again through his writings, meaning Paul, the book of Hebrews, probably written by Paul, it does it as well. There is Christ all over Hebrews, and again and again, it is something that's being applied from the Old Testament, speaking solely of the Lord Jehovah, okay? To come to any other conclusion, there is one God, Jehovah is God, 
Thus, Jesus is Jehovah incarnate, the one God. To come to any other conclusion would be to state that the God presented in the Bible is confused, right? Because it's two testaments, we claim that we believe both testaments, but if one says, I am the Lord God and there is no other, every knee shall bow to me, and then it says the same thing about Jesus in the New Testament and he's not God, then it's a confused book. And that's when Jehovah's Witnesses, when I do talk to them, which is very rarely, what I do is I say, listen, if you want to understand, just go back and read Isaiah and then read everything that he says about the Lord in Isaiah, the Lord quoting through Isaiah, I am the Lord, I am the only redeemer, I am the only savior, I am this. I say, read every time the Lord claims something about himself with the word only, and then see if it's applied to Jesus in the New Testament and go reconcile that in your own bad theology, okay? And that's why I tell them, you have made a fundamental error if you don't believe that there's either confusion because of your theology or that Jesus is who is being revealed in the New Testament, okay? So, with such a conclusion, the only logical subsequent conclusion is that the Bible is not true and that the God of the Bible is not truly God. If this isn't true, that Jesus is the Lord, we have a confused Bible. And if that's true, then the Bible isn't true. Take it, throw it away, go out and do whatever you want. You know, become a Muslim or something because it makes no difference. But it does. The Bible is sound. It is clear. And, it, you know, my friend asked me a couple days ago, why doesn't he just say Jesus is God in the Bible? Well, he does. He does like 400 times. It's just that he uses literature, he uses scripture in the way that he does, and you have to infer it, maybe, but it is there. It is as clear as it could be. It is said at least a billion times, and the okay, a billion might be an exaggeration, but many, many times it is said, and it is clear that Jesus is God, okay? I and my father are one, but the Job's witnesses will deny that because then they'll take and they'll say, my father is greater than I, not understanding positionally that... God is logically before Christ the Son in his incarnation, okay? But he's still God, completely God, fully God, however you want to say it. And so he is God, and they are one. But they will take those things, and they'll twist them around. They'll take a few they, verses. They try to trick you. They're very, that's one thing that I, I would never debate a Jehovah's Witness unless you are really, really sure of your theology, because they can very easily twist your mind. Okay, any call. They they're, they know there are few things know. in theology. That, well, that's right. But if they're there to debate you, they do know it. They're very well trained in the few things they know. So be careful. When, but, you know, don't greet them. Don't allow them into your house lest you share in their wicked work. That's what John says. Leave it at that. Okay. Um, so, okay. Um, Jesus is God. Okay. Paul is clearly identifying Jesus as the one God, the true God, and the only God. Oh, I got to hurry. We're almost done. And this conclusion then must support the concept of the Trinity. Not a triplicity or a triad, but one God in three persons. Okay. We got four minutes. I got to hurry. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the Bible elsewhere confirms. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. Okay. This God, now cited by Paul, says, as I live, says the Lord. The equivalent of this statement is, I have sworn by myself. The two expressions are conceptually a one-to-one -one comparison, as is noted elsewhere in the Old Testament. As there is no one greater than God, to swear by himself means that the statement is certain. This is explained in Hebrews 6, 3 through 18, which we're going to be at in just a few more, maybe another month or so. We'll be in, no, it'll be about four more months, but we'll be in Hebrews 6 eventually, and then we'll go through that there. And the oath he swears is that 
every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. There is no person who has ever lived who will fail to recognize this truth. Jesus is the Lord God who will be so acknowledged by every son of Adam, without exception. Every knee will bow in homage and in submission to him, and every tongue, as Paul writes, shall confess to God. In other words, God will be exalted through their confession that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Lord. This is the intent of the words as Paul states them. But let us now return to the context of those words. We have been given 10 verses of instruction concerning the accountability to the Lord, our accountability to the Lord, our allegiances to him, not to the whims of others. Our responsibilities are those defined for us in his word. Remember, we don't add to the word, we don't take away from it. He has set the parameters, not in legalistic additions by those around us. If God has a prescription for us in his word, then we are subject to that directive. And those around us may hold us accountable to what is stated. And that's why I tell you, if somebody's diverting from scripture, you have a right to hold them accountable. Okay, if they want to argue the point, one warning, two warnings have nothing to do with them. Okay, that's we're, we're required to do that. But if there is freedom within a precept, such as eating meat or eating only vegetables, then we're accountable to the Lord only for what we do. Others have no say in our decisions. Remember this point before you point out a supposed fault in another or when you supposedly are faulted by another. God's word is the authority. Stand firmly on this and remember that you will bow to Jesus, not to anyone else. Okay? You're not bowing to anybody else. You don't need to waffle in your convictions. You don't need to say, well, I don't want to offend. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. It is to Jesus that you will bow. And so, the heck with offense. Life application, by keeping Romans 14, verse 11 in its proper context, we can see how fervently God feels about his word. We are completely accountable to it and not to the external pressures of others who feel differently about disputable matters. And the only way we can know what God expects of us or what liberties God has granted to us is to know our Bible and then to properly apply it, right? Know your Bible. Thank you. There we go. Let's say a prayer. We're just on time. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful word. And thank you that we are at the end of the age where we have this wonderful word because so many people didn't have it and they just lived by faith in you and it was a simple faith and it was probably a wonderful existence. But Lord, we have so much today. We've got the commentaries of eons of scholars. We've got multiple versions of your word. We've got audio versions of your word. We can listen to it. We can read it. We can think on it. We can hear it read. We can contemplate it. We can turn on the radio and hear a sermon on a passage that we were thinking about that morning. We are just filled with your word if we will allow ourselves to be so filled. And so, Lord, help us to do this and to apply properly these things that we've learned today, not judging others by things that are disputable and not being judged by others, but rather standing firm in our liberty in you. And Lord, we once again raise up the people we've mentioned at the beginning. We pray for them. We pray for resolutions to problems, help for those that are afflicted, and for your kind hand to be on us in the week ahead or the rest of the week ahead. Oh God, you're so good to us. Thank you for this precious word, and thank you above all for Jesus our Lord, which has explained who is explained in this word. And Lord, we thank you for him and we praise you in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me back this up here. Uh...
I see. Yeah, I thought it was backing us.